Welcome to the Tech Bytes podcast. We're sponsored today by Appstra, and we're going to get into solving common network issues with intent-based networking. My co-host today is Tom Coffey, and you can hear him on the IPv6 Buzz podcast. Our Appstra guests are Sean Hafiz. He is VP of Product Management, and Jeff Tansura, Head of Networking Strategy. Uh, folks, welcome to the show, and let's get started. Uh, you know, when we're talking about intent-based networking or IBN, um, they say you have to provide a full lifecycle management. So can you give us some background on how Appstra's AOS does this? Sure. I'm going to start backwards, which is not normal for this. It, when you're running the network, look, you want agility, mean time to insight, mean time to resolution. These are the goals for production network. In order to do that day two really cool system-wide stuff, for example, you know, the, the server guy comes to you and yells at you and says, hey, my apps aren't performing, the network's broken, and it's slow. In order to be able to figure out why uh, packets aren't flowing uh, between two EVPN endpoints, and in order to do proper root cause identification, uh, which means put a big circle around what's wrong besides the you know, giant screen of red that you normally have to sort through. Mm-hmm. In order to drive that business level requirements, the tool needs to know and understand your intent, right? This is the word that we use. Uh, it's a buzzword bingo in networking right now, but we invented it. We've been at it for a very long time. It requires you to start at the beginning of how you build and deploy. This is where AOS starts. It provides the tools that build the foundation of your tent. It takes your input and helps you design the networking fabric. Three-stage, five-stage, L2, L3, EVPN, what fits your needs. We don't care about the hardware vendors per se. We're agnostic. AOS gives you a list of choices based on your design. Arista, Cisco, Cumulus, Juniper, Sonic, it's up to you. Mix and match. Heck, you get to negotiate with a switch vendor like it's a server hardware that meets the spec. So what's the best deal? AOS provides you the design, the cabling map, everything you need to do to do the physical configuration. And then you press a button and we push the configuration and everything just works. So great. Now you've got the intent. Yeah. And I think this intent part is important because, uh, you know, the reason you're doing all this configuration work is for some kind of business outcome. So it kind of makes sense to start from that position, right? Yeah, absolutely. Stuff breaks. And we all know this, <laughs> yes. and, right? And, and, you know, the first rule is Murphy was an optimist. And the real key is, is that if you want to resolve things quickly, which is the end goal, you have to know what you planned on doing. We all know that network documentation is, is, is wrong the day you finish it. Um, and so what AOS does, it gives you that single pane of glass. So all the changes that you make, all the day two operations, add moves and changes are verified to be correct. And when you look at AOS, you know that it's always correct. There's a system-wide undo button, need a hardware failure, a few clicks, swap it. You want to write a custom probe that asks data across the system, we can help you with that. So in order to make this work, in order to have this intent, you must have this full lifecycle, the design, build, and deploy. And then the operations with the continuous validation. Yeah, Sean, that sounds really powerful. I just uh, very quickly wanted to get into, you know, maybe an example for the listeners of a more complex network function um, that AOS uh, can provide and, you know, something that AOS solves for. Yeah, I mean, I would pick something like uh, EVPN VXLAN. Um, I, uh, I'd i actually like to defer to Jeff Tansora on talking about this here. Yes, yeah, so starting with how iOS provides full lifecycle, it's clearly stage and in different phases. So we start with design phase where we provide end user ability to spread their intent. That's really intent consumption. Then we go into building phase where we model the intent. It's still vendor agnostic. So if you want L2 or L3 fabric, we don't know the vendor, we model the intent. Then when we go into deploy, we bring notion of the vendor and make this fabric vendor dependent, and then we deploy and validate. 
What's important here is that most of the expectations with regards to service, as we said, business outcome is defined during the design phase because there's no one better than you telling the system, look, this is how I want my service to be. This is what I expect from the service to do. So all the validations are built in during the design phase. And this is how intent-based system should really work. Yeah, Jeff, could you, could you talk about that as far as uh, the, the question with the EVPN? Because, um, I mean, it's incredibly complex. So EVPN is indeed incredibly complex. Uh, it brings probably like 30 years of legacy trying to replace uh, VPLS, VPWS, and obviously control plane for VXLAN. Because when VXLAN was designed, there was no control plane. So EVPN was made... And it brings all the extremely complex interaction within the system between layer three routing, layer two bridging, and labeled operation, VXLAN operation. So really one of the most complex technologies ever invented, designed. So looking at how iOS helps here from end user perspective, you express your intent. I want the service to be switched, so there's layer two communication, I want just another service to be routed. Based on this intent, we'll build EVPN configuration across whole fabric that will provide this functionality, as well as since during design phase, you expressed your expectation with regards to how this should operate, we'll create all the validation. For example, you want a large layer two fabric. in. Uh, EVPN world, anytime you create new EVI or EVPN instance, type to route has to be generated because EVPN must follow bridge logic. Any unknown packet has to be flooded to every other port that participates in the same service. So all these expectations are created during the design phase. For example, you have 10 switches participating in EVP, EVI. You need that you have to hit to see 10 type two routes. We know how your routing table should look like. We know how your replication table should look like. So all of this is known in advance. So when you've gone through your design, build, deploy phase, when you go into validation, validation starts at second zero. At the moment your fabric turns green, everything is being uh, continuously validated. So this is how all the complexity is abstracted away. So from end user perspective, Fabric is either working or if it doesn't work, we also tell user why, what's wrong. File a bug with your vendor, maybe your switch gone wrong, maybe your cabling is bad. And I think this validation part is important, tying back to that lifecycle issue, because you can make the configurations, you can even you know write scripts or whatever to try to automate pushing it all out, but you don't really know it's working until you start pushing traffic in this validation element. Make sure that once you're in production and running, you don't find out it's not working because someone can't do something. Absolutely. And then your intention is not to configure a VLAN or a bridge. Your intention is to be able to provide particular network construct for application to communicate with each other, right? So, and this is exactly, it's the end state, the intent of the user. It's not something you do in between, like configuring VLANs, IP addresses, or whatnot. With such a powerful tool, I feel somewhat embarrassed asking about something as basic as plumbing, but uh, as the uh, co-host of IPv6 Buzz, I'm, I'm obligated to, to ask, you know, like uh, for enterprises that we're trying to get to, to focus on IPv6, one of the things that we have the master vendors is, you know, what's the level of IPv6 support like? Is it, you know, do you are, do vendors end up treating IPv6 as a second-class citizen? But my understanding is that AOS actually has some pretty robust IPv6 features and functionality. 
Yeah, we've uh, we've had IPv6 in mind since we started, and and we support uh, uh, several different configurations of IPv6. IPv6. When you uh, when you ask about your intent, um, it, you specify exactly how you would like to behave. Uh, we don't support everything yet, um, but as the VP of product, I'm telling you that it will all be done very very quickly. Um, we think IPv6 is is a, a must have. A large number of our clients are in the uh, Asia Pac area, and of course they've they've embraced that a lot faster than the rest of the world and we fully support them and then i think jeff uh we're doing some pretty cool stuff with uh with the rfc for ip unnumbered aren't we well absolutely so uh being able to send v4 and lri with v6 next hop simplifies underlay configuration a lot it actually doesn't need v4 addressing so we are normalizing all of this configuration across different vendors unfortunately and as always different vendors have implemented differently so if your intent is to have this kind of configuration, iOS will completely normalize this across different vendors and make it transparent to you. With regards to treating V6 as first-class citizen, absolutely, since day one, all is required from end user actually to say, you know what, I want to use V6. For me, it is as important as using V4. iOS completely takes care of anything V6 in the overlay. It works exactly the same way as V4. I'm delighted to hear it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you've just made Tom very happy. Yeah, <laughs> got a big <laughs> smile on my face. <laughs> happy so, to make you happy. <laughs> uh, coming back to EVPN, you guys actually um, have a customer issue around EVPN. You can share this is something you're seeing out in the real world. Yeah, let me uh, just say that we have a um, uh, customer that uh, sort of interesting. They've been in production for over a year now. Um, they have nearly 200 uh, switches, um, and uh, they use eVPN and sort of the interesting use cases that they use this to provide segmentation between different design teams. They're a very secretive company, um, and uh, they even keep from different design teams what they're working on. And so they stretch L2 to uh, to the people's uh, desktops, um, and then they stretch that back to the build servers that build and work on their code. And at 200 switches with that number of movements, add moves, and changes with EVPN, I mean, it's incredibly, incredibly complex. And, uh, and Jeff, you want to talk to some of the probes and stuff that we're doing there? Absolutely. So before we go into EVPN, fun fact, first time EVPN was ever discussed in packet pushers, normally in show 196, it was Ross White and myself in July 2013, talking about EVPN. I still remember Greg being skeptical. And, you know, it was cool, new, shiny technology. <laughs> that's his default That's his default position, Jeff. That's, you're always going to get Greg skeptical. Absolutely. <laughs> but, the you know, the interesting point, we are all the way back. We are, we are closing the circle because back then we were discussing whether EVPN is, you know, viable technology. Back then... It wasn't really known to be in data center outside of QFabric in Juniper. Now it is the technology. Everybody who is doing any routing or building three, five stage lives by networks with VXLAN using EVPN. So we are there. The predictions were right. Now let's talk about uh, the use case here. So as Sean said, uh, we've got a customer with really large layer two or stretch layer two network. So there are more than 200 switches participating in particular EVPN instance. Mm -hmm. So we said before, EVPN fabric for layer two really emulates a bridge. So when there's an unknown unicast, multicast, or broadcast traffic, it has to be flooded to everywhere. It's fundamental for fabric to work because when you ARP for someone, it has to be flooded. So everybody has 
to receive this traffic. And the customer was complaining, you know, my VMs move often, but sometimes I just don't see connectivity. And it's for me, I cannot figure out what's going on. And if you look at troubleshooting of EVPN, we are talking about probably 10, 20, 30 different commands just to figure out what's going on in a single switch. It doesn't tell you anything about whether service is working, whether all switches that are participating in this particular service doing it right. Since iOS has built all this expectation in the design phase, so we knew there should be 200 EVIs, everyone generated time clear out in order to join the flooding domain, we actually started validating are all 200 types of routes there. And what we found out is that due to vendor bug, none of these routes were always generated. Some of them were withdrawn from time to time. And this led exactly to that behavior when new MAC address would show up somewhere, somewhere else would flood traffic for it, and it wouldn't respond because it wasn't included in this flooding domain. So by being able to validate this behavior and communicating back to customer, look, this is what it is. It is a control plane problem. And probably when their bug, customer went back to the vendor, the bug was fixed and this behavior was, this bug was solved and customer was happy. So by being able to understand from high level business story down to how your control plane table should look like, iOS is able to solve all these really, really complex issues because as we go through design build phase, we validate service to network to device relationship. So we know exactly which state is in particular relationship to what is being deployed. So we can resolve any problem in the network because of this very rich relationship matrix. Yeah, I can see how that would be really valuable because <laughs> when you're dealing with complex configurations and trying to troubleshoot a problem, knowing just where to start can uh, you know, be a nightmare. So being able to get it right down to the fact that it was an issue with the vendor and not some kind of configuration or operator error on your side must have made a big difference to getting the problem resolved. Absolutely. An important point here, we generate the configuration. So we know in advance and we have validated on behalf of every customer mm -hmm. that configuration is correct. So actually, in a way, iOS treats someone going into a session configuring something new. It's a deviation. So for all practical reasons, we would love to you know, break someone's hands not to do this. <laughs> and we will report back, look, someone touched the configuration, someone changed it. We don't know why. Right. Please, either Please let us know or go figure out what's going on. Mm -hmm. I, I'd like to add that um, from the network engineering standpoint, like the network engineer actually knows how to debug this. The problem is, is that if you add type 1, type 3, type 5, type 4 routes, um, you're typing show commands over and over again on 200 different switches, and then you're, and then you're having to compare the output. It's 10,000, 100,000 lines of stuff that you have to look through. Mm -hmm. Why should a human do that? Right? Even if you're the network engineer that understands it, you don't want to do this. You want to spend your time doing more business critical stuff. So we automate sort of this, this droll, hard-to-do thing that you know how to do, and we just make it simple, right? Another interesting point, as you grow, so you go from 10 switches to 50 to 200, nothing changes in terms of service definition. You're still doing the same service. So since whole system is modeled within iOS, we transparently model the requirements from 10 to 50 to 200. You wouldn't even know there are more switches. So all of this is done transparently based on relationship between different pieces of uh, model. Fantastic. Well, that about brings us to the end of this episode of Tech Bytes. Uh, Sean, if people are intrigued about what they've heard, where would you send them to get more information? 
It's actually really simple. Appster.com forward slash packet pushers. Fantastic. That's appster.com slash packet pushers. Uh, and we've also did a podcast with Jeff uh, a few weeks ago talking about intent-based networking in general with uh, Phil Gervasi. We'll put that in the show notes with some other interesting links, and I'll have to dig up that show that Jeff referenced talking about EVPN back in the day with um, Russ White and Greg Farrow. That'll be a good one for the history books. In the meantime, you can find this and many more fine, free technical podcasts along with our community blog. That's at packetpushers.net. And check out IPv6 Buzz as well. You can follow us on Twitter. That's at Packet Pushers. Find us on LinkedIn, like us on Facebook, and rate us on Apple Podcasts. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.